0: It is Sunday, April 30th, 2023, and we are live. So it's been a very, very busy weekend. Uh, You know, I was on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, I was teaching uh, two fantastic online classes, online history classes. And also Saturday, I did a fantastic interview with Dr. Charles Finch. Dr. Charles Finch is an Egyptian scholar. Uh, he's a scholar dealing with uh, Nile Valley Civilization, Nile Valley History. We talked about Queen Cleopatra um, and the la- Queen Cleopatra the last Pharaoh, Queen Cleopatra the last Pharaoh. And he responded uh, to Egyptian officials' statements that Netflix's Queen Cleopatra had no African ancestry. Okay, so um, we're gonna talk about uh, Harry Belafonte today. He passed away this past week at the age of 96. Uh, you can give us a call with uh, your thoughts about Harry Belafonte as well. Uh, you can post your comments here. We'll try to share them uh, here on the broadcast. But also, I'm going to share an excerpt of this interview that I did with uh, Dr. Charles Finch, uh, as well. Okay, it's a fantastic interview, and we got into a lot of history. Um, Also this past week, we know that the uh, accuser of Emmett Teal, Carolyn Bryant, Carolyn Bryant Dunham, she passed away at the age of 88 from cancer. She was in hospice and um, we know uh, she had been sick. Um, We know there was an attempt to try to get an arrest warrant from 1955 served. and that I told you that a restaurant was not going to be served. Uh, we know that the uh, investigation, there was an investigation done by the department of justice in that concluded in 2021 and uh, without any charges being filed. It was concluded December 6th, 2021. When that uh, department of justice investigation closed, Right here on this show, uh, I went through the sixteen-page report from the Department of Justice and broke down to you why the uh, there were no charges filed. It wasn't because of racism; it was because of lack of evidence. It was not because of racism; it was because of lack of evidence. Um, I did a two-hour broadcast uh, Friday after I finished Roland Martin's show. Uh, I did a two-hour broadcast here on our social media platforms dealing with the 16-page report from the Department of Justice. And the name of the report is Emmett Till Notice to Close File. Emmett Till Notice to Close File. It's at justice.gov, U.S. Department of Justice, from December 6, 2021. Go watch the two-hour plus uh, broadcast that I did on Friday, uh, April 29th, uh, Friday, April 28th, 2021, 2023, Friday, April 28th, 2023 on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel, where I get deep into this report uh, on today's show, we'll 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 just look at this report briefly. But what I'm going to show you will, once again, show you why charges were not filed because of lack of evidence. Now, back in 2017, Professor Timothy Tyson, who's a uh, Princeton uh, University professor, Professor Timothy Tyson uh, published a book. He wrote a book that was published in 2017 called The Blood of Emmett Till. And in his in this book and in articles about the book, he said that. Uh, Carolyn, Carolyn Bryant Dunham recanted testimony that she gave at the trial in 1955. All right. Now the problem was um, the, the problem was that when it came time for him to provide evidence to back up the allegations that he was making, that she recanted her testimony, because the Department of Justice investigated this. So when it came time to provide evidence, uh, they, he could not provide the evidence to document that she recanted her testimony. So once you go through and look at this report, you'll see why, oh, there's a lack of evidence and they put him on the witness stand um, her defense attorneys will destroy him on cross-examination i could destroy him on cross examination i haven't been to law school i've taken two law classes but i haven't been to law school so we're going to talk about this uh as well and we're going to go through uh briefly because this is only a two-hour show that department of justice report and then you know last week uh, we ran out of time i did not get a chance to get to uh, this topic here that we discussed on Faraji Muhammad show the culture uh, back on April 11th, 2023, but it deals with how spanking children for African-Americans spanking children as a holdover from slavery and spanking children was not traditionally practiced in West Africa. OK, so we'll we'll, we'll deal with that as well on today's show. We may be able to squeeze in one or two more topics and get your calls in as well. Uh, Calling number is 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. We'll also give you some information about the online history classes that I teach on the weekends. We did a free session today of uh, Black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution, US Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, the Black Power Movement, Visit our website, TheAfricanHistoryNetwork.com, TheAfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and uh, you can register for that uh, free class session. We did uh, two actually about two hours and 20 minutes we did today of, um, of that class. We had a great uh, discussion today, dealt with a lot of history. We dealt with the Civil War, and uh, we talked about the Homestead Act of 1862. Did you know that the U.S. government gave away 270 million acres of land? for 124 years, starting in 1862. It ended in 1976 and African-Americans were largely shut out of that massive land giveaway. That's the Homestead Act of 1862. Okay, so we'll give you some information on that as well. Now on the African History Network show, we focus on educating empowering and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself what you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself what you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read heard and seen about yourself so when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts you can control the circumference of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know now we deal with a number of different topics here we do a current events history politics education economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. The 22828, the sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. The 22828, to sign up for our email newsletter. All right, well, humanitarian and um, actor extraordinaire and director Harry Belafonte passed away at the age of 96. Uh, this past week, we, we you know, we got the news and uh, I saw coverage of it uh, on MSNBC. I saw coverage of it on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Now, uh, Roland did at least two days of coverage dealing with Harry Belafonte. Uh, Harry Belafonte was a friend of Roland Martin. Harry Belafonte was also one of my frat brothers as well. He was an honorary member of Five Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, on Friday's show, uh, uh, Roland also continued... His uh, tribute to Harry Belafonte. Now, he didn't let the panel. I was on the panel. He didn't let the panel uh, uh, comment on Harry Belafonte. I don't know why. Maybe it's because of time constraints or what have you. But this is my show. So I'm going to do it here. So, you know, uh, I remember seeing Harry Belafonte uh, in Buck and the Preacher uh, when I was a kid. Now, I saw it after originally came out. And I remember watching it on TV. Um uh, uh Buck and the Preacher. And also I remember seeing um Harry Belafonte in um what was it? Um Uptown Saturday night. Okay, Geechee Dan, Uptown Saturday night with uh Sidney Portier and Bill Cosby. We know we lost uh Sidney Portier uh last year. So uh Sidney Portier and Harry Belafonte. Are reunited two extraordinary uh, humanitarians actors and and uh, 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 directors there was a good article from the New York Times dealing with uh, Harry Belafonte Harry Belafonte 96 uh, dies barrier-breaking singer actor and activist barrier-breaking singer actor and activist and you know, we posted. There was a, a a picture of Harry Belafonte. We posted it on our fan page, the African History Network. It got about twenty seven hundred likes. Okay, check out this article from the New York Times. There's also a good one from uh, thegrio. dot as well. From thegrio. dot com also. Okay, that's not the article that I want. Uh, there's one from thegrio. dot com uh, as well. This is the one I want here on uh, Harry Belafonte. Let's pull this up. Harry Belafonte, 96, dies, barrier breaking singer, actor, and activist. Okay. Uh, in the 1950s, when segregation was still widespread, Harry Belafonte's ascent to the upper echelon of, of, uh, show business was historic, but his primary focus was civil rights. His primary focus was civil rights. Okay. Um, this is, let's see here. All right. Now, and here's a, here's a picture of Harry Belafonte right here as well. Uh Harry Belafonte was not the first black entertainer to transcend racial boundaries, but none had made as much of a splash as he did for uh, a few years. No one in music, black or white was bigger. Okay. Uh, and in 19, I think it was 1957, he was the, in 1957, he was the highest paid African-American. He was the highest paid African-American entertainer. All right, uh, we're up against a break. you listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. Uh, we'll be back in a few minutes. Hotel. on the After History Network show, we focus on educating the and inspiring people about getting descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. A lot of people don't know what the hell to talk about.
1: Then they may have an area of expertise, but some people need to learn how to stay in their own lane. If you don't know, just say you don't know. So we have a lot to talk about, so we're gonna jump right into this. Catch it all right here on 910 AM superstition.
0: All right. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, uh, the future radio. OK, the call in number is 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. All right. Uh, I, I want to go to this article dealing with uh, Harry Belafonte from uh, this is from The New York Times. Harry Belafonte, 96, dies, barrier-breaking singer, actor, and activist. So uh, Harry Belafonte, who stormed the pop charts and smashed racial barriers in the 1950s with his highly personal uh, brand of folk music and who went on to become a dynamic force in the civil rights movement, died on Tuesday, okay, so that was uh, Tuesday, Uh, April 25th. He died on Tuesday at his home on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. He was 96 years old. Now, the cause of of death was congestive heart failure. The cause of death was congestive heart failure, said Ken Sunshine, his longtime spokesman. Now, at a time when segregation was still widespread and African-American faces were still a rarity, on screens, large and small, on uh, television, as well as on uh, the big screen. Harry Belafonte's ascent to the upper echelon, to the upper echelon uh, of show business was historic. Uh, He was not the first African-American entertainer to transcend um, racial boundaries. Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald and others had achieved stardom before him, but none had made such a splash as he did. And for a while, no one in music, black or white was bigger than Harry Belafonte. So I remember seeing him um, in, I remember seeing him on the Muppet show uh, when I was a kid. I remember Harry Belafonte's involvement with, um, we are the world. Okay, we are the world, Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson. uh, I think that was about 1984 or so, we are the world. Uh, I remember him in Bucking the Preacher, okay? Now, in in my online class, um, Black Resistance Movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, the Black Power Movement, we talk about something called the Black Exodus of 1879. And the Black Exodus of uh, 1879 was occurred um, when you had about 6,000 African-Americans migrating from uh, Louisiana and Texas out west to Kansas. All right, Uh, this was in 1879. Well, so this is, and they were called Exodusters. All right, and they're looking for a better way of life. They're trying to escape Jim Crow laws, trying to escape segregation and, and domestic terrorism, things of this nature. Well, the movie, Buck and the Preacher, which was directed by Sidney Poitier. Uh, the movie Buck and the Preacher deals with a, a wagon train of, of newly freed uh, African-American slaves, former slaves, who are going uh, out west to Kansas and they're looking for a better way of life. Uh, they wanna own land, etc. So it's it's not in 1879, It's uh, it happens. Buck and the Preacher is set after slavery ends uh, after 1865, but before 1879, but it is similar in, uh, the premise. Okay. It's similar in the premise and it starred uh, co-star Ruby D as well. Ruby D was Sidney Poitier's wife. So that's a, that's a powerful movie, Buck and the preacher. Um, and then I, I remember, uh, him in the, um, I remember Harry Belafonte in Carmen um, with Carmen Jones with uh, Dorothy Dandridge, okay? And Carmen Jones was an adaptation, it was a musical, but it was an adaptation of the opera Carmen, okay? And that was fantastic. I remember watching that on television, probably on a Sunday afternoon or something like that, you know, and I liked Harry Belafonte, but I was watching it for Dorothy Dandridge. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. Cause (laughs) I mean, I, I, you know, I I was a boy, so Hey, I was watching it for Dorothy Dandridge, but (laughs) Harry Belafonte did a good job. He held his own in, in that movie also. All right. Now, uh, Born in Harlem to West Indian immigrants. So I guess some people say he didn't deserve reparations. uh, So, (laughs) (laughs) but born in Harlem to West Indian immigrants, Uh, Harry Belafonte almost single handedly ignited ignited a craze for Caribbean music with hit records like Dayo. Dayo, the Banana Boat song. And I've been watching performances of him doing uh, Dayo, the Banana Boat song uh, as well. I remember him. I think he sung that on The Muppet Show uh, also because I saw one performance of him on The Muppet Show playing the drums. Uh, And also uh, records like Jamaica Farewell, Jamaica Farewell. Now, his album was called Calypso, Calypso in 1956 and this album included both of these songs dayo the banana boat song and uh jamaica farewell um his album calypso reached the top of the billboard album chart shortly after its release in 1956 and stayed there for 31 weeks 1956 this is the same year of the montgomery bus boycott which which started december 5th 1955 ended uh, December twentieth, nineteen sixty six lasted three hundred eighty one days. We know he became ex, uh, excellent friends, close friends with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as well as Coretta Scott King and the King family. He became active in the civil rights movement, and also in February of nineteen sixty eight, Johnny Carson lent the uh, he let Harry Belafonte host guest host the Tonight Show for an entire week. And Harry Belafonte used that platform to push the civil rights issues and push the civil rights movement. And uh, he had one of the guests that he had on the show, I think it was the last day of the last day, which would have been a Friday. He had Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on that show. But that was probably the blackest week we had ever seen uh, on network television, the blackest week, night after night, five nights, He had all these African-American guests, Nipsey Russell and others. I think he had John Lewis on. Um, There's a documentary that uh, Joanne Reed on MSNBC, she did a documentary uh, dealing with this and it's called the sit-in and it's on Peacock. It's a fantastic documentary. All of the footage, some of the footage of those interviews has been lost. Okay. But she showed excerpts of footage that was, Uh, still captured. And you get to see the interview uh, that with Dr. King. And this was two months before Dr. King was assassinated. Also, he had um, uh, Robert Kennedy on as well. Okay. John F. Kennedy's brother also. This was shortly before Robert Kennedy was assassinated also. But Harry Belafonte used this platform, this opportunity that Johnny Carson gave him, to shine a spotlight on the civil rights movement and bring that movement into people's living rooms. Now, this is at a time when there are only three channels. Okay, there are only three major channels, three major networks. We didn't have cable. Okay, this is 1968. We we didn't have cable television. All right, so uh, we didn't have the internet and cable television and smartphones. None of that stuff. So people watch CBS, NBC, and ABC. All right, so that check out that documentary on Peacock called The City In. All right, now, uh, Calypso reached the top of the Billboard album chart shortly after its release in 1956 and stayed there for 31 weeks, coming just before the breakthrough of Elvis Presley, who stole a lot of his style from African Americans. It was said to be the first album, Calypso was said to be the first album by a single artist to sell more than a million copies, to sell more than a million copies. Now, uh, Harry Belafonte was equally successful as a concert attraction. He was handsome and charismatic. He had audiences spellbound uh, with dramatic interpretations of a repertoire uh, that encompassed uh, folk traditions from all over the world Rollicking Calypsos like Matilda. Uh, 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 Matilda, work songs like uh, Lead Man Holler. Tender Ballads like Scarlet Ribbons. Now, by 1959, he was the most highly paid Black performer Af- uh, Black performer in history. By 1959, Harry Fonte was the uh, highest paid Black performer in history with fat contracts for appearances in Las Vegas, at the Greek theater in Los Angeles, and at the palace in New York, and the palace in New York. Now, success as a singer led to movie offers, and Harry Belafonte soon became the first black actor to achieve major success in Hollywood as a leading man. His movie stardom was short-lived though, and it was his friendly rival, Sidney Poitier, who was also has caribbean roots as well so i guess sydney portier uh w- wouldn't get reparations either um sydney portier not harry belafonte who became the first bona fide uh black matinee idol okay we're going to continue this on the other side of the break uh, you can also give us a call 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 Here's the call-in number if you have a question or comment. You listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. How's everybody doing? Okay, so who do we have here? We've got uh, Kenya Randall also. Kenya said, I remember that. Uh, Sharon Simpson Anderson said, yes, I remember Bucking the Preacher, also one of my favorite Westerns. But then also, you know, Bucking the that's one of my favorite movies, Bucking the Preacher. But then, the movie Posse, okay?
1: Ten, the superstition, Detroit's only African American talk radio. No views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 910 AM Superstation or Adele Media. A great program. Admit is what you want. 910 AM is what you need. I'm your host, Brother Michael in hotel. hotel. On the African history network show, we
0: focus on educating and and inspiring people about it. of African descent to the diaspora and around the world. A lot of people don't know what the hell they're talking
1: about. Then they may have their areas of expertise. But some people need to learn how to stay in their own lane you don't
0: know, just say you don't know. So we have a lot to talk about,
1: so we're going to jump right into this. Catch it all right here on 910 AM Superstation.
0: Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM the Superstation. Future radio. Okay, so um Bucking the Preacher, 1972. Uh I, I remember seeing it. I didn't see it in 1972 because I was only one years old, but I remember watching it later on and and watching it on television and, 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 and seeing Sidney Poitier, seeing Harry Belafonte. And uh, it's a a movie that takes place uh, during, after slavery, shortly after slavery ends. And now this piece right here, this is from criterion.com. I was looking at some write-ups on Buck and the preacher. Um, Harry Belafonte plays a con man preacher uh, in, in the movie. And Sidney Poitier is a, as a guide who has relations. He has relationships with Native Americans and he has to navigate this wagon train of, of former slaves, uh, through Indian territory. Buck and the Preacher, with his routinely entertaining directorial debut, Sidney Poitier, alongside actor producer Harry Belafonte, alongside actor producer Harry Belafonte, helped rewrite the history of the Western bringing black heroes to a genre in which they had always been sorely underrepresented. Okay. In which they had always been sorely represented, combining boisterous buddy comedy with blistering black power, er, black power era, political fury, Sidney Poitier and a marvelously mischievous Harry Belafonte star as a tough and taxitarian wagon master and an unscrupulous pistol-packing preacher who joined forces in order to take on the white bounty hunters, threatening a, westward, uh, a westward-bound a westward caravan of people recently emancipated from slavery. That's, that's what's so fascinating about this. Now, even though the movie's probably fictitious, things like this Things similar to this did happen. And that's the black exodus of 1879. Okay, 6000 African-Americans migrate from Louisiana and Texas, primarily out west to to Kansas. And in this movie, they're migrating to Kansas. Now, a superbly crafted revisionist landmark, Buck and the Preacher subverts Hollywood conventions at every turn and reclaims the Western genre in the name of black liberation reclaims the western genre in the name of black liberation okay so check out that movie uh buck and the preacher it, it's a it's an excellent movie uh ruby d is in it she plays uh sydney portier's wife as well the, the the brilliant and lovely ruby d uh who's an ancestor now uh also so we've lost you know ruby d uh ozzie davis we've lost uh cicely tyson uh sydney portier uh all, all all of these uh fantastic fantastic actors and actresses and and they uh, mo- and a lot of them were involved in the civil rights movement also okay put their careers on the line put their lives on the line uh Dick Gregory as well you know they were involved in the civil rights movement also all right now if we go back to this piece here from uh the New York Times And then I'm going to let you hear an excerpt of the interview that I did with Dr. Charles Finch on Saturday dealing with uh, Queen Cleopatra, the last pharaoh and rebuking the criticism coming from the Egyptian government on the ethnicity of Queen Cleopatra portrayed in the African Queens series from executive director Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith on Netflix. Now, success as a singer led to movies and and Harry Belafonte soon became the first black actor to achieve major success in Hollywood as a leading man. But making movies was never Harry Belafonte's priority. And after a while, neither was music. He continued to perform into the 21st century and to appear in movies as well, Although he had two long hiatuses from the uh, silver screen, uh, but his primary focus from the late 1950s on was civil rights. His primary focus from the late 1950s on was civil rights. Now, here is a here's a picture of Harry Belafonte and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And the two are reunited now. Uh, This is from uh, 1956. Okay. 1956. Let me see if we can pull this up here. Okay. Yeah, this is from 1956. Now this is during, the, has to be during the Montgomery bus boycott because the, the Montgomery bus boycott goes on till December 20th, 1956. Early in his career, Harry Belafonte befriended the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and became not just a lifelong friend, but also an ardent supporter. Dr. King and Harry Belafonte uh, at the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem in 1956. Okay. Um, Harry Belafonte put up much of the seed money to help start SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and was one of the principal fundraisers for the organization and Dr. King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference. So SNCC uh, SNCC comes out of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, right? So, uh SCLC is founded in 1957. It's co-founded by Dr. King and Ella Baker and others, okay? Uh and then in about April of 1960, SNCC is founded and SNCC Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. SNCC comes out of um SCLC, okay? And Ella Baker helps to found SNCC and she tells them to um, stay she tells the because SNCC was like founded by college students you know John Lewis and others Diane Nash and she tells them to stay independent of SCLC because she felt that they needed their own organization all right we know that uh, Stokely Carmichael Kwame Ture Is going to become chairman of SNCC in 1966, and you're going to have, and then you have a real infusion of uh, the Black Power ideology, uh, and really, it's that element is there before Stokely Carmichael becomes chairman, but it really accelerates, and you're going to have those, and I'm going to try to put this as politely as I can. Those uh, civil rights activists, African American, who I do respect, but disagree with. They're going to leave uh, SNCC when SNCC adopts a Black Power ideology, and we know that it's going to be uh, in about June of 1966 during the March Against Fear in Mississippi, when James Meredith is James Meredith is shot, and he he's going on this uh, he's going on this march uh, to call attention to segregation and things like this. Um, He's shot. He's in the hospital. He can't continue to march. Dr. King and others come in. uh, Kwame Ture, Ture, Stokely Carmichael, they come in to finish this march. They get arrested. And then when they come out from from jail, it's June 1966, right about there. Kwame Ture gives a speech and he talks about we want black power. We want black power. And he drops the black power phrase nationally. Now, in Eyes on the Prize, the second incarnation of eyes on the prize, not the, not the first incarnation that deals, deals with history from about 1955 to 1965 or so, uh, 55 to about 68, something like that, the, the, first, the first eyes on the prize. There's a second eyes on the prize that picks up where the first one leads off and they interview Kwame Therese, Stokely Carmichael. They interview Bobby Seale, and and uh, Huey P. Newton, co-founders of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. And Kwame Ture talks about uh, uh, Mukasa Dada, Willie Ricks. Willie, Willie Ricks was a member of SNCC and I know Willie Ricks, Mukasa Dada. I've interviewed him here on the African History Network show and it's Mukasa Dada and, and Kwame Ture who coined the term black power. And in Eyes on the Prize, Kwame Ture talks about uh, how Mukasa Dada, Willie Ricks was instrumental in priming the people on the ground with the phrase and ideology of black power before Kwame Ture drops that phrase nationally in June of 1966, when he comes out from jail during the uh, March against fear. All right. So it's Harry Belafonte who helped to, Fund SNCC and who helped to fund the organizing of SNCC because this stuff costs money. All this stuff costs money. A lot of people make it look easy, things like this. If you don't do this type of work, if you don't do activism and things like this, you don't understand really how you need money to do all that stuff and then you need money to bail people out of jail. Okay? It's people like Harry Belafonte who made all those movements possible. Harry Fonte put up the seed money to help start SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and was one of the principal fundraisers for the organization and Dr. King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference. All that stuff costs money, okay? You can't just call the phone company and say, no justice, no peace, or keep hope alive, or whatever phrase you want to come up with, and they keep your phone lines on. No, you got, they want some money. You can't call Xfinity, okay? And, and, and say right now is correct wrong behavior and they keep and they keep your internet service on. They want some money. All right. It costs money to do all this stuff. Uh Harry Belafonte took part in the march on Washington in 1963. We'll continue this on the other side of the break. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk briefly about the sit-in, the documentary documentary The Sit In, and when Harry Belafonte guest hosted for Johnny Carson in February 1968. We'll be back in a few minutes. Listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. 910am Superstation WFDF. Stand by. How's everybody doing? Stand by. Bathroom break in four minutes. All right, you can support the African History Network, Dollar Sign The AHN Show through Cash App, Dollar Sign The A H N Show through cash app also through paypal paypal.me forward slash the ehn show or at our website theafricanhistorynetwork.com theafricanhistorynetwork.com you can register for the uh online classes that i teach also on saturdays and sundays back from breaking four minutes how's everybody doing today all right we've got Joel. are you doing Joel? uh we've got sharon uh Posse was great also. Yeah, the movie Posse. Posse was the exit. Posse is one of my favorite movies because about a third of the cowboys in the old West, a third of them were African American. And these were these were some bad brothers. You have the westward expansion of the U.S. They're going into Kansas Territory, Nebraska Territory. They're going into, you know, the Dakotas and things like this. And uh there they are trying to uh they, they want to own land they, they're trying to escape the uh segregation in the south and the term cowboy was originally a derogatory term for african american cattlemen okay the term cowboy was originally a derogatory term for african american cattlemen uh white Men who herded cattle and worked with cattle—they were called cattle men or cattle hands. These were white men. They called the African American men cowboys. Called them boy to belittle them, dehumanize them. But they—one—they was—they were so good at what they did, African Americans—they were so good at what they did that the term cowboy became a general term for cattlemen and those in the you know you have the rodeos but those uh uh uh, roping the cattle and things like this and it became a general term okay in a lot of these movies historic african american cowboys get represented as white cowboys in a lot of these various movies because we don't know this history we don't know the fight back against this the the what was so powerful about the movie posse directed by melvin van, van Peebles and mario van Peebles, is that it shined a light on the fact that a third of the cowboys approximately were african-american and, it, and when you watch the movie it deals with it takes place in 1898 during the spanish-american war okay it's a fantastic you know because I, I, I talk about the movie in my classes stand by
1: the Michael hotel
0: on the african history network show we focus on educating and crying and inspiring people of african descent who the diaspora for and around the world a lot of these people don't know what the hell they're talking about they may have that expertise but
1: some people need to learn how to stay in their own lane if you don't know just say you don't know so we have a lot to talk about so we're gonna jump right into this catch it all a nine ten a.m superstation
0: all right welcome back to the african history network show right here on nine ten 10 a.m oh hold on we lost Connection. How did that happen? Stand by. We got a call back. We lost connection with the radio station. Stand by. Let me call back in. Hold on. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation. All right. The calling number is 313-778-313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment okay michelle samuel said harry belafonte was a great activist she's watching on facebook uh sharon simpson anderson said posse was also great the movie posse starring uh melvin van peoples mario van peoples they directed the movie you got big daddy kane in the movie tiny lister uh stephen baldwin uh, Reginald Bell Johnson, uh, who was on Family Matters, uh, you know, Carl on, on Family Matters. This is a fantastic, fantastic movie. Also, Sally Richardson was in, so that's why I was watching the movie, okay? Because <laughs> Sally Richardson's in a movie, but <laughs> uh, Sally Richardson, Whitfield, she's married to DeAndre Whitfield. Um, fantastic movie that also deals, even though I think it's a fictitious movie, It has a historical background. It takes place in 1898 during the Spanish American war. You have uh, 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 Jesse Lee, I think his name is Jesse Lee. And he is in the army, the U.S. Army. The Spanish American war is of Cuba fighting against Spain for their independence, okay? We know that Cuba was one of the uh, island nations that uh, the colonizer Christopher Columbus conquers on his four voyages, right about 1494. Well, the Spanish American war and the U.S. gets involved in in this war, Cuba is fighting against Spain for their independence. Uh, You have uh, the group of uh, army men that uh, Mario Van Peebles is part of, Uh, they're forced to steal some uh, gold from, I think it's Cuba from the Cubans. Okay. And then the backdrop is, uh, 1898. It's after reconstruction ends in 1877. They talk about the grandfather clause in 1877, which was, uh, first, started in Louisiana when Louisiana writes their state constitution in 1898, the grandfather clause was designed to suppress the African-American vote because in a lot of these Southern states, we were the majority of the voters cause we were the majority of the population and we are, uh, electing African-American men into public office in the South Carolina state legislature. The majority of the, uh, Uh, People in the state legislature were African-American men in South Carolina. South Carolina is where the Civil War starts. So the the grandfather clause of 1898 stated that if prior to 1867, if your grandfather could not vote, then you could not vote uh, because your grandfather was a slave. Right now, this was a way to get around the 13th Amendment of 1865. They kept looking for ways. These white supremacists kept looking for ways to get around the 13th Amendment. And the grandfather clause is one way that they do it. And they they wanted to implement the grandfather clause to also get around the literacy test of uh, uh, the literacy test requirement, because you had a lot of white, a lot of poor white people who were illiterate. And if they applied the literacy test to them, they couldn't pass it either. So they come up with the grandfather clause so they don't eliminate too many illiterate white people. All right. So when you, when you study this period of time, uh, after Reconstruction ends in 1877, and you go from like 1877 to 1900, and you look at these laws being put in place, there was a fear of African Americans continuing to gain political power, all right? They didn't fear us exercising. They feared us having political power. This is why I tell... Well-meaning. A lot of people mean well when they say this, but I tell you, have heard me on Roland Martin the Filter say this. You heard me on Faraji Muhammad's show, The Culture. You hear me right here on the African History Network show. Stop telling African Americans to exercise their right to vote. You don't vote for exercise. If you want to exercise, you go to the gym and work out. You vote for power. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power and resources and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments and treaties, their adoption, interpretation and enforcement. When we change what the purpose of voting is, then we will realize the need to be better, better educated to get a better outcome. If you think that you just vote for exercise, if you think that you just vote for Dr. King and Fannie Lou Hamer, Then you don't understand that you vote for power to be able to put in put in place policies that are beneficial to you, your family, your community and your people nationwide. Then you could end up voting for people who work to dismantle the legacy of Fannie Lou Hamer and John Lewis and Hosea Williams and and, uh, Diane Nash and Dr. King and things of this nature. Okay, because the purpose, you're not voting for the right purpose. Everybody else votes for power. Okay, they don't vote for exercise. We have to do the same thing. All right. Now, um, in uh, 1968, uh, Harry Belafonte. Because we got to wrap this conversation up, because I got other topics to get to. Um, in 1968, uh, Harry Belafonte said uh, guest hosted the Tonight Show, and it was uh, there's a documentary about it called the Sit In. Okay, the Sit In. And I'm going to try to pull up uh, something here uh, on this. Just give me a second here. Yeah, uh, Harry Belafonte hosted tonight show. Okay, mm-hmm. I watched this documentary. It's a fantastic documentary. Uh, there is a article from uh, the Daily Beast about this uh, as well. And there's also one from uh Indie wire, uh uh Indie wire, the sit in, when Harry Belafonte uh the sit in revisit the lost week in nineteen sixty eight when Harry Belafonte hosted uh the Tonight Show. Okay. If we look at this article quickly, then I wanna move to we're gonna go to clip number one, Doug. Uh I wanna move to this information dealing with um Queen Cleopatra the seventh and the interview I did with, uh, uh Egyptian, uh, scholar, uh, Dr. Charles Finch, who is African American, by the way, he's a scholar of, uh, Egyptian ancient comedic history, etc. So th- this article here from, uh, Andy wire is from September 10th, 2020, September tw- September 10th, 2020. And I want to pull up, uh, we'll show you the name of this article here. This is, uh, the sit-in revisit the lost week in 1968 when Harry Belafonte hosted The Tonight Show. From executive producer and MSNBC host Joanne Reed, the film chronicles the seminal and almost forgotten moment in American history. Listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on nine ten a.m., the Superstation. All right. Uh, let's go back to this article here. And shout out to everybody watching us on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Uh, this helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting the African History Network show, finance the African History Network. Visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com theafricanhistorynetwork.com connects you to our social media platforms you listen to audio podcasts of our radio shows um and then also listen to nine ten a.m superstation live either through the radio or download the iHeartRadio radio app or the itunes uh radio uh, not itunes uh, tune in radio app or iHeartRadio radio and listen live to nine ten a.m superstation wfdf uh, we have a PayPal cash app information there, and also information on the online history classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays, okay? So you can register for those classes also. Uh, we did a free class session, the day of uh, black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution U.S. Civil War, black power movement, 1800 to 1968. So right on the homepage of our website, click on free class session, uh, April 30th, 2023, and you can go back and watch uh, that we did like two and a half hours of that class. Okay. Uh, we were talking about the passing of Harry Belafonte, uh, right before the break. And I want to go, uh, to this article here. This deals with the documentary called the sit-in, the sit-in, uh, in the, the sit-in chronicles in 1968, when Harry Belafonte, uh, sat in for, uh, Johnny Carson for an entire week on the tonight show, the sit-in Revisit the lost week in 1968 when Harry Belafonte hosted The Tonight Show. This is from IndieWire.com, September 10th, 2020, by Tambe O'Benson. Okay, uh, and this is the name of the documentary uh, executive produced by Joanne Reed of MSNBC called The City In. In 1968, America was embroiled in protests over civil rights and the Vietnam War. Uh, in that tumultuous time, The Tonight Show uh, hosts Johnny Carson turned over his hosting duties for an entire week to actor and activist harry belafonte that was probably the blackest week on network television until roots in 1977 when roots aired for an entire week on abc that's probably the blackest week on network television now uh, harry belafonte's cast of guests included dr martin luther king jr and bobby kennedy um, just months before they were both assassinated during a week that's been mostly lost in American history. Thankfully, is now being revisited Revisited in a new Peacock documentary, executive produced by MSNBC's, uh, MSNBC host Joy Ann Reed and directed by award-winning filmmaker, award-winning filmmaker Yoruba uh, Richin, R-I-C-H-E-N, aptly titled the sit-in, Harry Belafonte hosts The Tonight Show. At the time, Johnny Carson's pioneering late-night variety show had become one of the country's most influential platforms. So the move to have Harry Harry Belafonte take this mainstream institution and transform it into a multicultural and political experience, multicultural and political experience, introducing white America to his world of art and activism was unprecedented, probably scared the hell out of some white people too. I'm just saying, um, you know, the 1968, and they turn on, especially down in the South, you know, they turn on the TV to see Johnny Carson. And they're like, <laughs> they're adjusting the TV. They say Johnny Carson grew a fro and he's black, what happened? They are adjusting the TV and the and only two dials on the TV then. They ain't have remote, most people didn't have remote control on TV in 1968. They're trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, you can you can imagine. Um, I don't know how many people had heart attacks when they turned on their TV and, and saw this black man on <laughs> on the Tonight Show, but I could I could imagine. You know the the, the the number of calls that they got for EMS and things like this. I could imagine that whole week. Okay, especially in the South. Now, Harry Belafonte became the first black person to host a late night show, even if it was only for one week. As Richard Nixon's problematic and controversial uh, presidency loomed ominously on the horizon. His guests also included notable African-Americans of the day, like Lena Horne, Nipsey Russell, Nipsey Russell, not Nipsey Hussle. The rapper Nipsey Russell, who Nipsey Hussle is named after. Nipsey Russell, who was the 10 man in the Wiz with with. uh uh Michael Jackson, okay. Um, and uh Stephanie um uh Stephanie, the name escaped me. Uh I met her. It, it'll come to me. Um uh, Nipsey Russell, Bill Cosby, and others. Uh Stephanie Mills. Okay, I met Stephanie Mills. Uh because I knew her, her ex-husband, long story. But I met Stephanie Mills. Uh Nipsey Russell. Bill, uh, Bill Cosby and others all engaged in searing in-depth interviews taking place in, in an America that was forced to really contend with itself as a country on the verge of radical change, a country on the verge of radical change. The Civil Rights and Voting Rights Acts, for example, which still left African-Americans behind economically signaled some progress, no matter how incremental. Okay, Um, each guest came across as thoughtful and admirable, but also shaken by the uncertainty of the time, shaken by the uncertainty of the time. It was clear and understandable that none of them had answers to the country's complications. But the show wasn't all politics as host, Harry Belafonte also entertained his audience with comedy and music, watching Paul Newman play the trombone, uh, reliving his role as an expatriate trombonist in Martin Ritt's 1961 drama uh, Paris Blues, which co starred Sidney Poitier and Joanne Woodward, was especially a treat. The charming Harry Belafonte also verbi- verbally jousted with announcer Ed McMahon, remember Ed McMahon from Star Search, Ed, Ed McMahon, and showed home videos of his family on vacation. So check out the rest of this article here. This deals with the sit-in. It's a fantastic documentary that's on Peacock. Executive produced by Joanne Reed uh, of MSNBC to read out. Okay, and uh, the name of this article from IndyWire dot com is uh, "The Sit-in: Revisit the Lost Week in 1968." Harry Belafonte hosted the Tonight Show, Mm -hmm. and you got some, you know, people is they they haven't been right since. Just scared the hell out of them. There's too much. It's you know. There's too much uh black on this little television. This little uh I don't know what size of TV, a little 20-inch, 19-inch, 17-inch black and white TV. It just scared some people to death when they turn on the television. They thought Johnny Carson was gonna be on. And they see they see all these Negroes for a whole week. Oh my God. All right, so um uh, rest in peace, Harry Belafonte. All right. I gotta switch gears here. I wanna go to this uh next story here. So uh saturday uh april 29th i interviewed uh dr charles finch okay uh dr charles finch is a uh egyptian uh uh, scholar uh, on ancient egypt ancient african history things of this nature and those that study this type of information they're familiar with dr charles finch we're going to clip number one um doug we talked about queen cleopatra the last pharaoh and he refuted this nonsense also coming from uh, Egyptian officials about her ethnicity. Let's go to clip number one, please, Doug.
1: The hieroglyphic language of the um, Egyptians and launched Egyptology as a discipline. Right. And but what would is that when it became, <laughs> when they could read now the literature and the inscriptions. In the Egyptian language, the inscriptions that were carved out of the walls, the papyrus they could find, the clay tablets, they began to realize that this was a fantastic, fabulous civilization, which even up in eight, by 1820 had not been uh, exceeded or excelled. Now, the Greeks, you know, people talk about the Greeks. I don't have any problem with the Greeks because the Greeks recognized the primacy of ancient Egypt and said so. Right. Especially Herodotus. Right. Herodotus says, don't tell me about what the, you know, he was a Greek now. He, he himself was a Greek. You know don't tell me about what the Greeks did. The Egyptians did it all first, and they're the ones that taught the Greeks. Mm-hmm. This is Herodotus talking. Correct. And, uh, and you know, because Herodotus is the so-called father of history. Right. Now, uh, um, so, uh, let's get back to Cleopatra for a minute. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm you know, okay. kind of jumping around a little bit. Cleopatra was far more, shall we say, proud, far more committed to her Egyptian ancestry, to her mother, than to her Ptolemaic one, to her father. I mean, I'm not I mean, I, I maybe I'm overstating that a little bit, but not by much. Okay. Because she was like I said, she considered herself someone an heir of the pharaohs. considered herself basically an Egyptian Pharaoh now there had been four previous uh, three or four previous female Pharaohs in Egyptian history going all the way back to the first dynasty Hatshepsut being one right Uh, that's well known and there there have been a few others there were uh, three others and Cleopatra considered herself in that same line she didn't consider herself a mere queen Mm-hmm. She oh, now, now, by the way, you know, there was, as you know, there was a uh, brother-sister marriage among the uh, um, royalty of ancient Egypt. I think she may have even married her brother uh, so that she could uh, put herself in a position of power. But sooner or later, he, he was gotten rid of. Right. Cleopatra was ruthless like that, you know. Uh, but she was extremely dynamic, though. And as I said, she knew how to rap, uh, you know, and men just kind of... Uh, you know, she wrapped them around around her little finger, as they said, and and you know what happened when Augustus? You know, as we know, it was Julius Caesar that came first, right? And she wrapped him around her finger. Then Mark Antony came second. She wrapped him around her finger and and uh, and, and destroyed his marriage. And then, um, and then you know, he eventually committed suicide mm-hmm. because Augustus. So the fleets of Augustus had defeated his fleets, his, his military arm. And he committed a, and and also Cleopatra had, had had fled the field of battle and he just became totally dispirited. And uh, and he was just he went back to he went go back to Egypt literally and I this scene sounds melodramatic, but so he could die in the arms of Cleopatra, if you can imagine that. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, this, this seems all very, you know, hokey and made up in Hollywood and movies, but it happened. Yeah, it sounds it like it happened, crazy, but yeah,
0: it did. And he committed suicide. She committed suicide as well. Um, yeah, she died in 30 BC. Um, so you you mentioned her
1: mother now. From some research on this, is believed her mother was Cleopatra V. Is that correct? No, I don't think. No, uh, I um. I haven't seen that. Okay. All I've ever heard or seen is that her mother was Egyptian. Okay. And yeah. by the way, Zahi Hawass yeah. just rejects that. Not he has any reason for objecting, for it, but he wants to uh, remove all traces of Africa from...
0: Okay, we'll, we'll pause it right there and pick this up on the other side of the break. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. Uh, the future radio. Uh, that was, um, that was Dr. Charles Finch. That's the interview I did on Saturday, April 29th. And the, uh, one of the other, um, African queens of Egypt who ruled as a pharaoh, uh, was, uh, Sebek, S B E K N E F R U. All right. There's a piece from, uh, Britannica.com on Sebek and Fruit. We talked about this also when I interviewed uh, Professor Jane Small and we dealt with the woman king. All right, uh, you had African female pharaohs as well. And uh, Queen Cleopatra VII ruled as, a, as a, a pharaoh. Okay, we'll be back in a few minutes. 19 a.m. Superstation WFDF on Michael M. Hotep, the African History Network show. Welcome back to the African History Network show, calling numbers 313-778-7600, 313-778-7600. Here's the calling number if you have a question or comment. Okay, uh, we'll go to the phone lines here in a few minutes. I got to get back to this clip. Uh, this is the interview I did. This is an excerpt of the interview I did with Dr. Charles Finch, um, Egyptian uh, scholar, scholar of ancient African history, Nile Valley uh, Civilization history. We were talking about Queen Cleopatra, the seventh, the last Pharaoh, and uh, he responded. He refuted the Egyptian official statement uh, that Netflix's uh, Queen Cleopatra had no ancestry. There's an article from uh, NBC News that came out Thursday, uh, April 28th. That's probably the strongest statement from the Egyptian government. And I asked him about that. You're going to hear that uh, clip also. Okay, let's go back to the clip, please, Doug.
1: All very, you know, hokey and made up in Hollywood and movies, but it happened. Yeah, it sounds it like it happened. Movie, but yeah, it did, and he committed
0: suicide. He committed suicide as well. Um, yeah, she died in thirty BC. Um, so you you mentioned her mother now. From
1: some research on this, is believed her mother was Cleopatra V. Is that correct? No, I don't think no, – uh, I um, I haven't seen that. Okay. All I've ever heard of saying is that her mother was Egyptian. Okay. And, and they, by the way, Zahi Hawass yeah. just rejects that. Now, Not that he has any reason for objecting, but he wants to uh, remove all traces of Africa from uh, – from at least from the dynastic land of, line of ancient Egypt. Okay. So, okay. So let, let me. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay. There's one other thing I want to okay. say. Then, then, then we can get to questions. One is, when Augustus finally, you know, he conquered he conquered the uh, Marcus Mark Antony. Mark Antony committed suicide. Augustus came um, to Egypt to take over, you know, the empire. But you know what he wouldn't do? What he wouldn't look Cleopatra in the eye. Hmm. Because by that time she had such a reputation that he was afraid of getting hypnotized by her. Right. If you can imagine that. Right. He would not look her in the eye. And it was after that encounter with Augustus that the famous story that Shakespeare and everybody else sort of repeated. She took an asp, which was a cobra, Hmm. and she had that. She actually took it in her hand and had it had it sink its fangs into her. Can you imagine? Right. She had a a flair for the dramatic, that's for sure. And she died that way. Right from a snake. Uh, I'm sorry, from a snake bite. Yes, from a snake bite. And, um, um, you know, she was. She's probably a lot of people consider her the most fascinating woman in history. Well, you know, I mean, you could argue, you could say yes or no. You know, you could argue about that, but you know she managed to she came real close to to uh um ruling Rome and the Roman Empire right through the two men that she just completely entranced julius caesar on the one hand mark antony on the other and augustus said no i i you know if i if i go back you know cuz augustus came and took over the empire and defeated mark antony and he committed suicide and all this and augustus knew better when he finally confronted Cleopatra. He would not look her in the eye. Right. So he was afraid of getting. He was afraid that um, that she was going to mesmerize him, hypnotize him. <laughs> okay. What can I say?
0: So, so let me let me try to put a fine point on this because I know we're run out of time, and and I want you to talk about your new book as well. Okay. Now, um, you said that. Uh, on her on her mother's side, you said her mother was Egyptian. Now, the period yeah. of time that we're talking about, first of all, uh, the Greeks invade uh, under Alexander the Greek in three thirty two BC, and they uh-huh. conquer conquer in three twenty three BC. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, uh, um, uh, Queen Cleopatra Cleopatra the Seventh is born in sixty nine BC. Now, this is uh-huh. this is about seven hundred years before the Arab invasion that uh-huh. starts in six thirty nine AD. Now, when you say that her mother was Egyptian, what, what at, the, at this point in time, in 69 B.C., after, after the uh, you had the, uh, the Persians invading, you had the Persians who already invaded, you had the Greeks who have invaded, and the Greeks have been there for uh, a few hundred years. When we say Egyptian in 69 Black. B.C., what black, I know what you're like? getting
1: at. No, still yes. black, still black people. Still black people. They didn't. Stay, they didn't stop being black people. Okay. So you know those those people, um, you know that that you the, those different conquerors, they came, and they ruled at this. Uh, you know they they ruled the empire or the the country of Egypt. All right. Mm-hmm. But they didn't change who the people were. Okay. And in fact, they, each one of them would take. Uh, an Egyptian wife and or concubine shall we say right but they they didn't change who the people were they they were re, they remained black people right up until the time of the arab invasion which was as you say in the 7th century AD right. when that after that there you know and you already mentioned them you're right the persians mm-hmm. the greek macedonians the romans and the arabs finally and the arabs came in droves to right. Egypt. In droves.
0: And, and what, what I heard historically about the Ptolemies is that they would uh, either marry or intermix with a, a black Egyptian woman. Yep. Okay. The answer to
1: that is absolutely. Yes. Absolutely true. So, as I say, there is a strong mixed race, I guess the only way I can put it, what? element in Cleopatra's history and uh as i say her mother was known was uh, was an egyptian so yeah when you, that that picture of her that uh jada pinkett smith is going to use her the actress yes that's right I, I, you know you I, you you know don't listen to uh zahi Hawa. let zahi him was let, let let him uh, foam at the mouth about the fact that a black woman is representing, uh, Cleopatra. That's, that's, that's his issue. Now, I've been to Egypt, uh, I think a dozen times, and I've interacted and spoke with Egyptians, mm-hmm. uh, including, what, a year and a half ago. Not all of them, not all of them take that attitude that, uh, Zahi Hawa's does. Right. And so, especially since when so many of them, not, not so many of them, but a number of them have been, um have, have been the guides for tour guides that were led by people like Asa Hilliard mm-hmm. and others who schooled them. Say, look, you know, I mean, taught them, uh, John Henry Clark, even Doc Ben Yochanan. And uh, th- and they, once once they were schooled, they accepted it. They weren't like, uh, but Zayi is just, you know, he's, he's, he lost his mind.
0: Right, and he's he going He can't
1: the- take it, he, he, for whatever reason, He cannot, he cannot accept, he cannot accept that historical reality. Right. You know, what is it? What do you do? You know, nothing you can do but but somebody like him. But of course now he isn't, he is the one who, uh, is in charge of Egyptian antiquities, you know? Well, he Um, just,
0: uh, he, 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 I think he just resigned from that position or something. He, uh, is not in that position anymore. He's about to go on a tour in the, in the U.S. starting in
1: May. Uh, of, of, of the United States yeah, <laughs> of America. Now, here's what I would like to see happen. I don't know if it will or not. Mm-hmm. I would like there be a, a, a large, solid continuum of black people to attend every one of his lectures and presentations in every city where he goes. Now, will that happen? I, I don't know. Right. And when he starts talking, what he talks, then he needs to be challenged. Mm-hmm. He needs to be challenged. Yes, I, I I know about that upcoming tour. Right. Uh, I don't know if he's coming to Atlanta or not, but uh, you know he uh, he's making a he's making a, I think he's supposed to be here for at least three weeks. Yeah. If I make I'm not not if I'm not mistaken. But we'll you know now what will happen. I'm going to ask my friend. You already mentioned uh, Tony Brow. You call him Tony Browder. I call him uh, uh, Anthony Caracamoon Browder. As you yeah. know, he was one of the co-excavators of the temple tomb of Karaka uh, Karakamun. Exactly um, from the twenty fifth dynasty. So I actually gave him that name and when I talk to him, I say I say Karak <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, I have his book as well. Uh then we'll find Karakamun. I have his book as well. So Yeah. Uh let, let, let me ask you this question. So in in the uh article from Variety dot com written by uh Tina Garabi. Tina Garabi is the um a uh, director of this installment of African Queens from executive producer Jadis Pinkett Smith that deals with uh Cleopatra the Seventh. And in, oh. in the article, she says, um, what the historians can confirm is that it is more likely that Cleopatra looked like Adele James, actress Adele James, African American actress Adele yeah. James, than Elizabeth Taylor ever did.
1: Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Now, and
0: uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go, no, go ahead
1: and finish. No. Let's, let's not even talk about the movie. Have you ever seen the movie Ten Commandments?
0: Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yes. Brandy, I, yeah,
1: I've seen, it, I, I've seen it since it was first came out when I was but a lad. I've seen it about three times. Right. The Egyptians didn't look a, like anyone in that movie. Right. Charlton Heston, Yule Brenner. Uh, uh, there was nobody. That, in terms of their physical characteristics, look like what the Egyptians would have looked like in the time of Moses. That would have been what thirteen hundred, twelve, thirteen hundred BC, mm-hmm. a lo- little earlier. Right. There was no body in Egypt that looked like that. But you know, this is Hollywood. Exactly. now I don't know why. You know, no, I, we don't have to get off into that too much.
0: Right. But
1: um, there's been a systematic attempt. Once they, like I said, when they began to realize just what Egypt had accomplished there was a concerted effort to de-Africanize ancient Egypt.
0: We're going to pick this up on the other side of the break. So it was a fantastic interview I did with uh, Dr. Charles Finch. I've had had a busy weekend, okay? i taught two online classes, I did one interview with an Egyptian scholar and I'm doing the African History Network show uh, today as well. Uh, We're gonna pick this up on the other side of the break. We'll go to the phone lines, we'll go to PJ and anybody else on the phone lines, because I asked him about this article from NBCnews.com. Cleopatra was not black. Egypt tells Netflix ahead of a new series, ahead of new series. You don't wanna miss Dr. Charles Finch's response to what the Egyptian government had to say. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show. All right. Uh, we're going back to uh, this clip from this fantastic interview I did with Dr. Charles Finch, Egyptian scholar, uh, ancient ancient Egyptian scholar, uh, author, historian. His website is charlessfinch.com, F-I-N-C-H, charlessfinch.com. Um, and he has a new book. Uh, coming out uh, very in the next couple of months or so uh, you can pre-order it at his website charlessfinch.com It's called Nile Valley Civilization a 10,000 year history Nile Valley Civilization a 10,000 year history uh, this interview is on our uh, Facebook fan page the African History Network the African History Network and my YouTube channel Michael M. Hotep we had Difficulties with his internet signal early in the interview, so at first we had him uh, on video. Then we had to switch to telephone for for his side. For for him, we had to switch to telephone. So I'm going through editing the uh, video. We should have the uh, corrected edited video up uh, tomorrow, uh, up on Monday. All right, uh, Doug, let's go back to uh, let, let's go back to this interview,
1: please. Yes, still going on. Yes.
0: Still going on. yes. So further, further in the article, and there's one of the quick article I, I want to just highlight that just came out Thursday also. And then I want you to talk about your book and we're going to give you a website address as well. Uh, so further in the article, Tina Garabi says, so was Cleopatra black? We don't know for sure, but we can be certain she wasn't white like Elizabeth Taylor. She says, we need to have a conversation with ourselves about our colorism and the internalized white supremacy that Hollywood has indoctrinated us with. Because in the article, she talks about how Cleopatra being portrayed white, somehow for some people increases her value or increases her Uh worth. Whereas portraying her as a melanated person who has some like black African ancestry somehow cheapens her worth, lessens her worth.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you see, I used to, I used to foam with the mouth, this kind of stuff. I okay. used to grit my teeth and foam with the mouth and get angry and wanting to hurt people, whatnot. You know, you would hear stuff like that. I, I, I'm at the age now where what I do is laugh at them. Right. I right. laugh at these people. And I laugh at the ideas. I laugh at what they're trying to say. Exactly. Uh, no, no, no. Cleopatra didn't look anything like uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Nothing. Yeah. And Moses didn't look like anything like Charlton Heston. Right. And Ramesses, the second, did didn't really didn't look like Jewel, Jewel, Jewel Brenner. Brenner. Right. Jeez.
0: Right. Exactly. And this is this is uh, propaganda from 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 the media. Um, why? So in talking to you and coming up with the title for this uh, interview, you refer to Queen, uh, Queen Cleopatra as the last pharaoh. OK. Yeah. And, and some people who I guess think they know about African history, but really don't. Say, said oh she wasn't a pharaoh or the last pharaoh was six hundred years before that would happen why do you refer to
1: Cleopatra as the last pharaoh because that's how she thought of herself and that's how she, what she called herself and that's in effect you know she did have Egyptian ancestry yeah so she wasn't just a, a Ptolemaic Macedonian right she kept and even the Ptolemies got so that they de their A Macedonian ancestry and increasingly Egyptianized themselves, Mm -hmm. and married into the local populace, as we've already seen. Right. So they considered themselves. They wanted to. They wanted to rule in the line of the pharaohs. They weren't trying to be Macedonian kings. They wanted to be thought of. They wanted to live like and be thought of as pharaohs. And and Cleopatra was no different. She she was, far as she was concerned, she was an Egyptian. And therefore, she was a pharaoh. She she was a pharaoh, and she was either the fourth or fifth female pharaoh in Egyptian history, because there had been women pharaohs in Egyptian history. Right, exactly,
0: exactly. Early, going
1: all the way back to the all the way back to the first uh, the earlier dynasties. Yes.
0: Okay. Um, and then, uh, lastly, there was this there was this article that just came out uh, Thursday, August twenty uh, April twenty eighth. And uh, NBC News has this has this article. Zahi Hawass is quoted in it, of course. Uh, now, this one, um, this this contains a statement from the um, uh, Egyptian ministries, the a- a- Egyptian Ministry of Tourism and Antiquities. But the name of this article is Cleopatra was not black. Egypt Tales Netflix in growing feud ahead of new series okay and uh, I just want to highlight something here because it's important for us to have scholars like you and and others that push back on nonsense like this okay and mm-hmm. um, in, 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 in this article here let me bring it back up here uh, just a second as I have it on the screen okay so it says that um, uh, Queen Cleopatra which is which is released May 10th uh, features Adele James in the lead role, a casting decision that the streaming giant Netflix says is, quote, a nod to the centuries long conversation about the ruler's race, end quote, but, but which officials in Cairo have dismissed as, quote, blatant historical fallacy, end quote, blatant historical fallacy. The government stated, uh, the government statement uh, uh, from Cairo, the government statement uh, issued Thursday uh, marked an escalation in a feud that has sparked demands for the show's cancellation amid a broader debate over representation in popular culture. So they go on to uh, uh, cite uh, the Uh, Egypt's Ministry of Tourism and Antiquities argued that the documentary uh, that the documentary nature of the feature, quote, requires those in charge of its production to investigate accuracy and rely on historical and scientific facts, end quote. Um, The quote, uh, Dr. Mustafa Waziri, uh, Dr. Mustafa Waziri, Secretary General of the Supreme Council of Antiquities, said in the statement, that Cleopatra's appearance in the show was, quote, a falsification of Egyptian history and a blatant historical fallacy, end quote. Uh, I know you've hit on it before, but for those just tuning in now, how how would you respond to that?
1: Besides getting mad, (laughs) angry, um, ready to go. I love to go face-to-face and chin-to-chin with any of these people. You know, it reminds me of the situation uh of the cairo symposium in 1970 yeah that's right 1974 mm-hmm. when uh uh shake yep. not diab Jope, Jope. and uh tailfield benga yes uh faced off against a <clears throat> excuse me a phalanx of european and egyptologists yes about just this very issue and after after uh, this debate was concluded the moderator debate says, "Well, only doctors Joke and Obengler came to this discussion, this debate, prepared to make their case
2: mm-hmm.
1: that the ancient Egyptians were a black, were an African, black African race, and they won the day." That now, this nice. is 1974, and they were again they were up against Europeans and and uh, Arabs. Uh, who were trying to?
0: So that was uh, another excerpt of the fantastic interview I did with uh, Dr. Charles Finch. You can uh, we'll, we'll put that on the home page of our website theafricahistorynetwork but it's on my YouTube channel and uh, Facebook fan page, the African History Network. Visit his website, Charles S Finch, F I N C H dot com, Charles S Finch uh, .com and uh, give his new book, Nile Valley Civilization, A 10,000-Year History. Okay, uh, we're coming up on the break. When we come back from the break, we'll go straight to the phone lines, listen to the African History Network show. on Michael M. Hotel, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show. All right, uh, let's go to the, uh, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, who, do we still have PJ? Uh, let's go to the phone line. So if we have on line one, uh, welcome to the African History Network show. Thanks for holding. Tell us where you're calling from.
2: Hi, this is PG and I'm calling PG. from Oakland County, Michigan.
0: Okay. PG. You know,
2: I was listening. Yes. PG like and pretty okay. gorgeous.
0: Okay. 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 All Spiritual right.
2: guidance.
0: Yeah. Okay. Go ahead.
2: Rated PG.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. Okay,
2: so um, I was listening to the gentleman that you were interviewing and he said that as this person making their rounds to tour and talking about African American history, it would be great if a lot of black people would go. And I think that our history is very, very important. I think that we should always want to learn about the history. What what I've heard people say is when they go to some of these seminars or symposiums and they're listening to the evolution of our race and going all the way back and the Egyptians and the Moors, they always feel like sometimes the presenters make them feel stupid because they don't know. And my question to you would be, Is there anybody that knows everything, and even if you ask them, can they tell you, or should the people doing the presentation be grateful that, number one, the people came out, number two, they want to hear it, but you have to start somewhere when you're learning?
0: Okay, so that was was Dr. Charles Finch uh, that I was uh, interviewing Dr. Charles Finch was talking about Dr. Zahi Hawass. Dr. Zahi Hawass is the former, I think his position was uh, minister, uh, former minister of tourism and antiquities in Egypt. Dr. Zahi Hawass is going on a tour in May and June in the U.S. discrediting the uh, Africanity, the black African uh, presence in ancient Egypt. Okay. And, uh, Dr. Charles Finch was saying that there needs to be a contingent of African Americans uh, at each one of those lectures that, that, that uh, Dr. Zahi Hawass goes, to, uh, Dr. Zahi Hawass does to challenge him on this nonsense that Dr. Zahi Hawass is saying. That's what Dr. Charles Finch was saying. Now, as far as uh, uh, people, give, yes, people should be grateful that people uh, uh, come out to their presentations, things like this. Sometimes, Um, People, sometimes you have scholars, what have you, that uh, sometimes talk down to people. A lot of times they don't, a lot of times they may not mean something negative by it. It depends upon who it is in the situation. Okay. Um, But we have to, uh, we can't become so conscious that we become unconscious to the fact that everybody's not as conscious as we are. So we have to understand that everybody has to start somewhere. Um, So we have to be cognizant of that as well. Okay, all right, PG.
2: You were talking, yeah, if I could just ask you one other quick thing. So you were talking about uh, the complexion and colorism of um, uh, Cleopatra and the fact that Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony didn't want to look in her face because they thought they would just be... Um, mesmerized no, and no, mind blown that, 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 to the no, no, point that she could do whatever. No, no, he I always thought he, he that because Mark Anthony was Julius Caesar's number one man, that he couldn't look in her eyes because he betrayed Julius Caesar by having an encounter with her.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Thanks for calling. We're almost out of time. Okay. Uh, that's not what uh, Doctor Charles Finch was saying, but anyway, I got I got to move on. All right. Now. Um, so check out this article from the Washington post, Carolyn Bryant, elusive accuser in the lynching of Emmett Teal dies at age 88. All right. So this past, uh, this past week, uh, I think it was third, it was Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, we got the news that Carolyn Bryant Dunham, uh, passed away. Okay. Accuser of Emmett Teal, uh, the wife of one of Emmett Teal's confessed killers. She was a central figure in the 1955 murder that helped spur the civil rights movement. Okay. So this is from August, uh, April 27th, 2023, April 27th, 2023. Uh, that was Thursday. All right. Now, uh, so in this article, it, it talks about Carolyn Brian Dunham and talks about the, uh, so she had cancer, she was in hospice and, um, uh, so, so we know she passed away there were no charges filed against her. Now, what I want to get to, you can read this article here. What I want to get to is in December 6, 2021, the Department of Justice ended a investigation that they opened uh right around 2018, I think it was, after uh the book The Blood of Emmett Till came out. Okay. The book The Blood of Emmett Till that was written by um uh, Professor Timothy Tyson. All right. They mentioned the book in this article. If we scroll down, so this is uh this investigation was closed December 6 twenty one. All right. If we go to the reason why no charges were filed here in this investigation that ended in uh twenty twenty one is because of lack of evidence. Now I've gone through this uh, before, like three times here on the African History Network show, we've gone through this document. It's at justice.gov. You can check it out yourself. And we, I did a two hour uh, presentation on Friday. I did a two hour broadcast on Friday dealing with this as well. Okay. Right after I did Roland Martin show. So we did that on Facebook and YouTube. If you go to uh, page five, which deals with uh, Tim- section D, Timothy Tyson's claim that Carolyn Bryant Dunham recanted her testimony. Okay, so what happened was Professor Timothy Tyson interviewed Carolyn Bryant Dunham um, in 2008 twice. He made two audio recordings. He was interviewing her uh, for his book, The Blood of Emmett Till And he didn't say anything about this smoking gun evidence uh, that she recanted testimony until about a month before. Uh, his book came out. Okay, shortly before the publication of the book, *The Blood of Emmett Till*, 2017, Professor Timothy Tyson revealed to several media outlets that Carolyn Bryant Dunham had, during an interview with him nearly a decade earlier, recanted the account that she had provided under oath during a hearing at um, uh, Roy Bryant's trial. That was her husband, her then husband. Tyson's account suggested that Carolyn Brian Dunham lied in court and lied, lied in court in 1955. Statute of limitations for that court trial was about seven years. So statute of limitations expired and lied during the FBI's 2004 investigation. Specifically, Timothy Tyson stated that Carolyn Bryant Dunham admitted that her representation Uh, that Teal had made verbal advances toward her in the store was not true. You got to go through and read this because when they, when they go through and they ask him for the evidence to back up the claims that he was making in the media and in books, he, he didn't, he couldn't provide the evidence to back up the claims. Okay. Uh, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching for a few more minutes. While the time here on 910A on Superstation WFDF, right now it's correct, wrong behavior. It's not over till we win Wakanda of forever. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. All right. We're, we're going to continue just for a couple more minutes, and I got to get out of here. uh... So we go through. So this page, pages four through eight are the most important pages in this document. Pages four through eight. This is a 16 page document. Okay. In his book, in the book, Tyson identified a September 8th, 2008 interview with Carolyn Bryant Dunham. Uh, so this, this is page, I think this is page six. Which page is this? Six or eight, uh, 17. I think this is page, uh, either five or six, um, in the book. In the book, uh, Tyson identified a September 8, 2008 interview with Carolyn Brian Dunham and, quote, accompanying handwritten notes by the author, end quote, as his sources for these and other statements of Carolyn Brian Dunham's included throughout his book. Tyson also relied upon a draft memoir that Carolyn Brian Dunham had written. It was a 99 page draft, mem- draft memoir draft memoir that we found out about uh, some months ago, but had not published, okay? Uh, They talk about the current FBI investigation and then, uh, let's see, scroll down. I wanna go to, let's go to Timothy Tyson doesn't have, okay. The FBI quickly identified a significant obstacle in its investigation. This is page five. The middle of page five, everybody needs to go read this. If you've been talking about Emmett Till, you've been talking about Carolyn Brian Dunham passing away. If you've been saying, oh, charges should have been filed, things like this. Okay. You should read this document. I've read it three times. That's why what I was saying is totally different. Uh, there's, there's a lack of evidence to file charges. There's a lack of evidence admissible in court to file charges. Okay. Now. Uh, Professor Timothy Tyson conducted two separate interviews with Carolyn Bryan Dunham and recorded and transcribed both. However, the key statements that Carolyn Bryan Dunham reportedly made to him recanting her previous testimony were never were neither recorded nor transcribed. Were neither recorded nor transcribed. The FBI learned that Tyson had lost one of the recordings. The one during which Karen Bryant Dunham reportedly recanted her earlier statements and sworn testimony because he said he came. He came in the door. She started spilling the beans before he could start recording. Okay, now. And he said he had two audio recordings. He lost one of the audio recordings. Now, first of all, the first problem is, is that you did two interviews in 2008, but you didn't say anything about it until 2017. Why seventeen. Why'd you wait nine years to say something publicly? Maybe if you had said something earlier, there were witnesses that were still alive. Maybe justice could have been brought, but you waited nine years to say something, number one. Number two, why didn't you back up your audio recordings on external hard drives? I have seven external hard drives to back up my research. Why didn't you back up your audio recordings on external hard drives? The third problem is that he provided one audio recording that he had left and then uh, he provided two written transcripts of the audio recordings. The FBI reviewed all of the evidence that he turned over to them. He said they said in neither the one audio recording that you provided us or the two transcripts of the two audio recordings there is no recantation in this in this evidence that you turned over to us. The other thing is is that he has no witnesses. Professor Timothy Tyson has no witnesses. Now, Carolyn Bryan Dunham's daughter-in-law was present for both interviews. She said, and she was interviewed by the FBI, the daughter-in-law was interviewed by the FBI. She said that Carolyn Bryan Dunham never recanted her testimony. So when it came time, when you go through and read, especially pages four through eight are critical of this report, because I read it when it came out. Okay, I printed it up December 7, 2021, and I read it when it came out. All right. And when the information came out in 2017 uh, that she recanted her testimony and all these articles were being written, we covered it. I covered the story here on the African History Network show. But I had my I had my doubts and questions because I kept reading article after article, and I'm looking for real evidence of a recantation, and it was not in any of those articles. And you would see statements like Uh, She started spilling the beans as soon as I came in the door or something like that before he started recording, what have you. So once you start recording, why didn't you say, okay, I'm recording now. Can you repeat that? Can you start at the beginning? But when you get deeper into this report, Carolyn Dunham said that Tyson was brought on to help her write her memoir. She said that Professor Timothy Tyson started recording recording as soon as he came through the door. He said she started spilling the beans before he could start recording. Then he kept changing his explanation of whether or not he actually recorded a recantation. And he also kept changing his explanation of what happened to the second recording that he said he lost. When you go through and read the 16-page report from the Department of Justice, you see that there's a lack of evidence to even get a grand jury to indict her based upon evidence admissible in court, one. Two, if for some strange reason she was put on trial, when when her defense attorneys, because she's not going to go in the court by herself, this is not people's court, she's going to have defense attorneys. Professor Timothy Tyson is gonna be called as a witness because the, when you when you read this report, the report that the investigation was opened back up because of the allegations he was making in his book and allegations he was making in the media. So when the prosecution would have to put him on the witness stand, well, on cross-examination, her defense attorneys would destroy Professor Timothy Tyson on cross-examination. I could destroy him on cross-examination. I haven't even been to law school. I've taken two law classes, but I could destroy him on cross-examination. There's so many holes in his argument. So this is why when this 2021 investigation was closed, December 6, 2021, no charges were brought because there's lack of evidence. This is what I said then. I say the same thing now. If you actually go through and read this. All right. so go, this is at justice.gov. We have to do more research, take emotionalism out of this. Now I wanted justice for Emmett Till, but I said, once I read this, I said, uh, when, when uh, December, 2021, when I did my broadcast on this, uh, and then also when we got the news about the arrest warrant from 1955 and they were trying to get her arrested, all this, I said, no, going knock-on her. is a lack of evidence, okay? I wanted justice for Emmett Till, but I told you it's not going to be based upon this evidence here. This this, this is not, there's not enough evidence. And the, the, see, the burden of proof is on the prosecution. You can say whatever you want to say in the book. You can say whatever you want to say in the media. But in court, the burden of proof is on the prosecution. The prosecution has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt in criminal court based upon the evidence that she recanted the testimony. To do that you need evidence. You have audio recordings, you have video recordings. What is this based upon? She has a witness saying she did not recant testimony. Professor Timothy Tyson has no witnesses saying that she did recant testimony. He can't provide any evidence to prove she did. When the FBI investigated she said she didn't and, 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 and they even they even talk about how even though when they interviewed her she gave additional details That uh, about the the, uh, uh, surrounding uh, the killing of Emmett Till and uh, like what like what happened that day uh, in the trial and things like this. She gave additional details, uh, but. She did not say anything that contradicted what she even said in the 2004 investigation. So. When she if they took if they took her to court, she doesn't have to prove that she did not recant her testimony. The prosecution has to prove that she did recant testimony. OK, and 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 not. What they would have to prove is that when she was interviewed uh, for this investigation that closed two thousand twenty one that she gave false statements to the interviews false statements to the FBI that's 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 perjury okay false given false statements that's like a five-year felony. she cannot be uh tried on perjury she cannot be brought up on perjury trial uh, perjury charges dealing with the 1955 trial because the statute of limitation on perjury is like five to seven years, depending upon the state, but giving false statements to the FBI in an investigation, you can be brought up on charges dealing with that. Okay. But they would have to have evidence to prove that you're lying. Now, even though they said that, um, Statements that she gave in 1955 during the trial, things like this, uh, is not believed that those statements were credible. Having evidence to prove that she is lying is a higher bar that has to be met. And when you go through and read this, there's no evidence to prove that. As Denzel Washington told uh, Ethan Hawke in the movie Training Day, it's not what you believe is what you can prove. You have to be able to prove the burden of proof is on the prosecution. They have to be able to prove this beyond a reasonable doubt in court. And based upon the information that Professor Timothy Tyson is talking about, there's no evidence of that. Because when it came time for him to provide the evidence, he was interviewed by the FBI. When it came time for him to provide the evidence to back up the claims he was making in his book, he couldn't do it. Now, maybe if he had said something in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, before, like, some of those last witnesses died, maybe they could have gotten some type of justice. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Uh, You can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN Show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN Show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN Show. Uh, this helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, et cetera. Uh, register for the online history classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Maafa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Uh, we did a free class session of Black Resistance Movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement uh, today. So as soon as you, we have the information on the homepage of our website, you can still register. Uh, for both classes, but you can register for that uh, that free class that I did, and uh, that full course is on sale. is discounted forty dollars regularly one hundred thirty dollars. Click right here for the free class session from April thirtieth, twenty twenty three, at our website the African History uh, We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. We have a bundle pack where you can uh, get both courses. Uh, the bundle pack is on sale $80. That's a $300 value. You also get five of my lectures free in uh, digital format. You, it'll be in the video library. And then the class I teach on Saturdays Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Our next class will be Saturday, uh, May 6, 2023, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, look, we have to get out of here. Remember, right now is correct wrong behaviors. Not over till we win Wakanda forever. We'll talk to you next week. Peace.